Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 10, starting with verse 11. And we've been covering a series, it's been very interesting. Uh, this is the fourth of a four-part st- series, and if you didn't get the other ones or you missed some, you can get it for free off the website, no problem. Uh, and basically it's sort of, well, it's not sort of, it's the God's sovereignty, how God chooses, uh, but also how that is intertwined with human responsibility. Uh, so how do we choose? How do we decide spiritual things? How do we decide to accept God or to not to accept him? So the first two Sundays were God's sovereignty, and the last two Sundays, culminating with this, is human responsibility. I find it ironic that last Sunday we were talking about human responsibility. Our response when we hear the word of God, when God reaches out to us, and five people came forward to receive Jesus last Sunday. Um, and it's, it's funny, too, because I'm going through my notes, and you wonder how, what goes through a pastor's mind before a sermon. And I thought to myself, oh, this is pretty heavy, heavily doctrinal, theological. I don't know if anybody's going to come forward today. Well, five people came forward. So I love when God proves me wrong. He was working through me, but it was, it was, he was doing the work. And he was working in the hearts of people who sat here. And those people came forward based on being revived by the Lord uh, through his word. It's fascinating. Uh, we also talked about some of the cultural violence and some of the degradation of our culture and where the Lord fits in with that. Uh, we're going to look at this in four parts. Now, for those of you that are new, uh, our Romans series, there's 16 chapters, we've been talking about Romans 1 a lot, how God reveals himself through creation before the electron microscope which Darwin did not have access to, uh, he felt that most of life was very simplistic, including life in the cell and the atom, etc. But we know that life is very complex. So I've been kind of doing this series on God's attributes, how he reveals himself through creation. Uh, I've been doing the insects, and now I'm going to kind of branch off into the animals a little bit. So this morning, we're going to talk about the horse briefly. The horse. The horse is considered a prey animal. They have eyes that are fastened on either side of their heads. They have just shy of 360-degree vision, with 65 degrees of that vision is stereo vision. They have kind of clunky hooves with keratin, which is where we get our fingernail material from. Uh, They're not like the cat that have have dexterous paws or the monkey that have fingers like ours. So God made up for that with their prehensile lips. Their lips, if you've ever given a horse a treat, it's like their lips are everywhere. It's, and and they, they can, can fashion their lips into almost finger-like projections. They use their prehensile lips to go through grain and almost thresh to find what they want and what they don't want with their lips. Continuing on, they have what's called an advanced proprioception. That means they have almost like a sixth sense to know anywhere on their body where a fly or even a mosquito might be landing. If you watch horses when there's flies around, you'll see them twitch various parts of their muscles to get the fly or the mosquito off of them. Uh, They also can sleep while standing up. Uh, 
My wife got me into rescuing horses. I see she's very fixed on me. If I make a mistake, she's going to let me know or she's going to throw a flag on the field. But So how am I doing so far, hon? I got a thumbs up. So we continue with the horse. Where was I? Oh, they can sleep standing up. Remember, they are prey animals. They have what's called a stay apparatus where they're able to lock their joints, their tendons, their bones, their ligaments in their four limbs, save one. If you ever watch a horse in the field and three legs are locked or three limbs are locked and one's kind of dangling, they're probably sleeping because they are horses, you know, we're not wealthy people, they're rescues, but could be 12, 1300 pound beasts that God designed them so that one just kind of dangles to give it a break and give it rest while the weight is distributed on the other three. And every few minutes they alternate while they're sleeping they're let, and they, they don't fall over. I couldn't sleep standing up. Uh, so it's a pretty fascinating thing that the horses do. Uh, so horses are also known as herd animals, which means they like others like themselves. If we could put up the first image. I think they're twins. Uh, well, if we can move to the next slide. I had some carrots and apples in my hand, so, it, you know, he's, they can be very affectionate when they want to be. The next one. The one in the front is the mare. She's like, what are you looking at? The two behind her are the males. The horse's ability is... It, <laughs> Their back legs and their, their thighs and their leg muscles, the way they get up is they put their two uh, limbs, the forward limbs, up, and they literally spring 1,300 pounds right up with their rear legs. So horses can lay down. They can get up, up and down very easily as long as they're not injured. Next slide. <laughs> he's, upside, he's upside down. So remember I talked about proprioception. What the horses do is uh, they're very smart. No one teaches them how to do this. In the summertime, when the insects are out and they get annoyed, uh, they'll roll up, you know, they'll roll around. In <laughs> Everybody wants to groom a horse, but horses want to be protected from the insects. So they'll roll around and they'll cover themselves, usually with mud or dirt, to keep the insects from being able to penetrate. Uh, I think this is the last slide. I had to show this one. My wife said, are you not going to show the queen? So her favorite horse is a 35-year-old mare on the left side. She's called the queen. And that's the pony on the right. And they actually, as you can tell, they love each other. Uh, I did their wedding ceremony. <laughs> All right, let's move into Romans. <laughs> Starting with verse 11. Romans 10. It says this. Now remember, context, we're in the middle of the chapter. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, meaning Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Rich. He's the king of all creation. He's our father in heaven. He's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So one out of four is the assurance of salvation and imputed righteousness. And we talked about last time, zeal without knowledge. Even the Apostle Paul, being a religious man, he had zeal without knowledge until he got saved, until he understood who Jesus was. And he's trying to get all of his other you know, religious clan, the, the people that he ran with, so to speak, to get saved too, to know Jesus. 
Um, it's very important to understand this, that religion doesn't save. And we can't save ourselves. Right? That's why Christ came into the world to die for our sins. We don't have any righteousness, although some people are self-righteous. And it's, it's a facade. It's not real. The only righteousness that we have comes from Christ. There's a false symbiotic relationship in the world between religion and people. And it's, it's, it's a symbiosis, almost like in the biological world, where religion says, keep supporting us financially, and we'll assure that you get to heaven, or we'll make you think that. So everybody gets a little something from the relationship. But Jesus came, Matthew 23, powerful chapter. He came to break into the false religious uh, righteousness system and say, I'm the only way. Nobody gets to heaven except through me. So we, we talk about that God allows the ability to be saved as close, he says, as the mouth and the heart. Our will, our intellect, emotion, and how we express ourselves. We want to call upon God today. He's here to hear you. He's actually probably wooing you right now through his word. Uh, Verse 11, he says, anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I love going into the Greek, the Koine, and the different languages and looking at the semantic range. But won't be put to shame can also be translated, those who call on Christ, those who trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, won't be disappointed. Amen to that. If you've been a Christian long enough, if you've been walking with your Lord, your Lord, your Savior, my Savior for years, you can't be disappointed by him. You know, he pretty much gives us everything for free because he paid the price for our sins on the cross. Doesn't mean our life is going to be perfect, but it means that the relationship, there'll be no being disappointed in that relationship. God has accepted you. You can't go wrong. He says there's no distinction in verse 12 between Jew and Greek. Now, in other words, when Christ came, it was the same standard of salvation for all. So in the first century, Jesus comes, he dies for the sins of the people, whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, whether you you come from this ethnicity, whether you come from a wealthy background or poor, it doesn't matter. It's the same standard for everyone to get into heaven. That's a very fair, it's the fairest standard of them all. He says that you become, or we know that we become at peace with those around us. You know, I I find myself even fellowshipping with my associate pastors, all three of them. And maybe if I was still in the world, I just would have looked like, I would have looked for people like me to hang out with my interest and, you know, my background and stuff. But God, when you become a believer, your mind is opened. You know, again, it becomes a big tent or anybody can fit into that tent of true Christianity. It's a great thing. It becomes very diverse. Um, Verse 13, I'll read it again. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And my question to you is when you walked into this place, maybe for the first time, is that your desire? Then my my other question is what's holding you back if you haven't yet? Do you want a lifelong partnership with the living God? I mean, if nothing else, it's intriguing. Right? If you don't know the Lord, it's certainly intriguing. Really? Like, that's a, a possibility, the living God, that we have this relationship? Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, isn't it? You know, even college students every once in a while interview me for their religion class, right? And uh, it was great. The last interview I had, the question is, the professor asked through him, what was my goal? What was my desire? And my desire is to see everybody saved. I can imagine him reading that going, wait a minute, you don't want to build an empire. You don't want to double the size of your church. 
listen, this isn't false humility. I want what God wants. And it's funny because I said, give your professor, here's my cell phone number. <laughs> you know, hey, could, could you, would you come to church? Would you talk to me more? I'll reach anybody. I don't care who it is. Good, bad, right, wrong. Um, that's when you get the bug, so to speak, you know, of God. You want everybody to know about it. You know, even preparing these messages, you know, I, I'm like, Lord, please, let it be effective. Let it be what you would want me to say. I just want to see people get saved. And those that are saved to grow in their faith. Verse 14, continuing on, he says, How then shall they call on him, how they call on the Lord, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So the word uh, gospel comes from the Greek euangelion, which means a good message to be herald. Okay, well, we, we actually stole it from the Roman world because that was a legitimate world in the Roman Empire in the first century, and we took it to say this is the best news. You know, oh, there's a new emperor, euangelion, herald it. No, 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 we're saying Christ died for your sins, euangelion. And it's where we get the word evangelize from. It kind of transliterates into the English. So it's a very exciting thing. What is evangelism? And people go, you know, I think about those guys in Manhattan standing on a soapbox saying you're all dying and going to hell. Uh, you ang- the, the good news is that Christ died so that nobody has to go to hell. That's, the, that's actually what should be being preached. John 3.16, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the hallmark. That's the moniker of what we believe. So the purpose of evangelization, it's a big scary word to some, but it's very simple. It's to herald the good news of our living Savior who's risen from the dead. Now, when he says that the feet of preachers are beautiful, this is obviously metaphoric. (laughs) So I can tell you that um, I keep my feet clean, but, you know, there's some screws in them. There's some scars from surgeries. Probably I wouldn't characterize them as beautiful or pretty, but in God's eyes, the feet that bring the man or the woman, there's women preachers too, to a place where they herald the good news, they're beautiful. They're beautiful, right? And it starts in the heart. 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, I love this, he likens the human body to the body of Christ. And, and again, remember what I talked about in celebrity Christianity and my downplaying of it. You know, Paul says that not everybody's a mouth, not everybody's an eye. You know, the more beautiful parts of the body, the hair, you know, the hands. And in celebrity Christianity, everybody wants to be an eye. And he says, if everybody was an eye, you know, where would the smelling be? Where would the hearing be? He speaks about the uncomely parts. You know, you think about the body of Christ. Some of us are feet. Um, and when I'm not up here during the week, I'm feet. I fix stuff. So it's, it's a really cool thing, these, these uh, metaphors that God uses in his word so that we can understand things a lot better. So the beautiful feet of preachers that go and bring God's word and the message of salvation to a lost world. I'm amazed if you look on a map and you look at the mileage that the disciple Thomas went all the way east to India. 
without a train and a plane and even a skateboard. I mean, that is a very far place to go. Thomas was so motivated. There's churches in India uh, you know, today that have just, uh, you know, it's, it's in memory of Thomas and bringing the gospel to India. So cool. So, so exciting. Um, what if there was no preacher? Well, let's read Joel, if we could turn to Joel in, in the Old Testament. Joel two twenty-eight. This actually, uh, for those of you that are into doctrine and theology, I have a little comment on cessationalism, but we'll, I'll get to that. Not sensationalism. Cease, as in stop, cessationalism. Verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, God says. Your sons and daughters, they'll prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a delay between, it's hard to find it in prophecy, but a student of the Bible can pick it up over time. Verse 29 and verse 30, there's a, there's a little bit of a gap going on here because he says, this is speaking about the day of the Lord, which hasn't happened yet. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great for the coming excuse me of the great and terrible day of the lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved for in mount zion and jerusalem there shall be deliverance as the lord has said among the remnant whom the lord calls so in the book of acts in the first century when the spirit was given and when the gifts of the spirit were distributed um, it was an amazing thing. He, this was referred to in the book of Acts, that these things were coming to pass. Now, a cessationalist, and this is just a little doctrinal fun stuff if you're interested in it. A cessationalist is someone who believes that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. So it's very interesting. The gifts of the Spirit were, for, I could do a whole message on this. Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit were in the first century. They're going to be before the great and terrible day of the Lord so why is there a gap now? And some people believe that. I don't. Uh, right now, God is, is doing gifts, uh, speaking prophetic words, you know. God's prophetic word through the word this morning, you know. There's people that have healed, they have prayed for healing. So I don't, I don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are on for today. But moving on. The question that some may ask is, but, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. Okay. Sometimes we take titles and we, we have a strict interpretation of these titles. Let me ask you a question. Can you be a friend to your friends in your social group? Can you uh, express your excitement for your relationship with the Lord? Can you uh, talk about how now you pray and you talk to the Lord? Can you, can you change your character and, and become better by being a good Christian? You probably will get asked by a friend or a coworker or somebody at some point in time, what's your secret? You know what I'm saying? Everybody's looking for a secret. It actually was a method called the secret. They have all these things. But, you know, you're asked a direct question. I mean, talk about an open door and you just talk about, well, you know, I, you know I'm not even a believer that long, but I, I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and I'm feeling really good about this relationship. I feel that he's changing me inside. You, you're preaching. What? It, what uh, it, don't get confused about what I'm doing up here. I'm preaching. I'm teaching. I'm the pastor. But I do the same thing. If I go to a doctor's office or I go out in the street and I'm, I'm wearing my, you know, 
pants with holes in them and my sneakers and my hair is messed up, I can still preach. I don't have to be up here doing it, and so could you. So I want to encourage you with that. You know, God has a place for all of us. God has a, you know, when God gives out his gifts and when God talks to his children and when God leads us, he doesn't look for the, the overqualified, overeducated, uh, best families. He looks for the willing. Are you willing? You can check that box. Well, that's, that's a huge start. God will supply the rest. Pretty, pretty neat stuff. Um, and there's a reflective principle here with response to human responsibility. Since we're on the topic, the greater framework of what we're talking about this morning is, is as human beings, do we choose to follow God or we, do we choose to reject him? You know, even as believers, sometimes God can uh, urge us gently to do something and we can be like, you know, I, I just don't have time today. Uh, we could do that. We still have free will. Uh, but you know, if we're really walking in the spirit, we, we want to do what God wants. And if we do what God wants, he's not going to hurt us. He knows best, but he wants to use us. And that's an exciting thing. You know, some people are, uh, you might be here, you might be the right-hand person to a CEO of a big company. You might be, uh, you know, uh, the assistant or the chef to somebody who's a famous person. And you're like, wow, this is exciting. We're talking about God. Okay, so take that person, that CEO, that famous person. Imagine being an assistant to the living God. That's possible for anyone here this morning. You just have to desire it. Good stuff. Verse 16, he says, but they have not all obeyed. I mean, these are just the facts. You know, Paul does um, his style in writing sometimes almost is like a conversation. It's almost like a, even a debate. Uh, you know, he, he puts these questions that people have in his word, and through the Holy Spirit, he answers them. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, quote, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Three out of four this morning is, well, sadly, not all will welcome the message of salvation. Now, context in verse 6 is Isaiah 53, the Old Testament, the Hebrew prophet, speaking sadly about a future time. Now, this is pre-Christ, when his people, many of them, would reject God's Messiah. It's all in the scripture. I mean, you, you read the Old Testament, you read the entire Bible, you like all, your questions start to get answered. And what Paul does is he actually uses other scriptures to support, that have already been written, to support what he's saying and the arguments that are leveled. Right? So, verse 17, though, is very powerful because it says faith. Right? People wonder about faith. Well, Jesus speaks about the faith of a mustard seed that can barely be seen. You know, sometimes when we look at celebrity Christians, we think of, oh, faith. You know, and, and they're just talking about big things all the time. Jesus says your faith can start out small. And, and you know, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, you, know, you can do great things with that faith in God's eyes, not necessarily in the world's eyes. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God has regenerative properties. That's an amazing thing. The word of God has regenerative properties. When you read a book, I read um, Shakespeare. I actually went to a good public school uh, and and. I, I had this one, it was honors English, and we read a lot of stuff. I read A Tale of Two Cities, that was fascinating. I read Shakespeare, I read all kinds of stuff, and it was moving. 
And I would read it and it would evoke emotions and passions and different things. But here's the difference. When you read the word of God, <laughs> he arranges the words by, by his providence so that when we read it, there's life in those words. That's why it's called the living word. But you say, but pastor, is, is your book magic? You know, your Bible, is your, your special Bible? No, it's not. It's the way God, through the Holy Spirit, arranged the words that when we read them, we understand things. We understand things about ourselves. We understand things about our culture. We understand spiritual things. And he has the ability to do that. Check this out. This is so cool. I could be up here by myself. I could be honest with you. I mean, I just read the Bible and, and you know, I'm reading in Genesis 2 and, and God takes, you know, God put compounds on the earth. He put... Um, you know, there's carbon, there's hydrogen, there's oxygen, there's sulfur. There's all kinds of elements all throughout everything we do in the cells of our body. God creates all this stuff and he scoops up some dirt and he fashions a man out of it. And the man is, he's dead. He's a corpse. He's got blood vessels. He's got all kinds of stuff. It wasn't until God, it says, I would have loved to see this. And maybe we'll get to see this. He breathes a life-giving spirit. He breathes the, the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. And he becomes a living soul, the Bible tells us. When Adam died, everything that he was fashioned with went back into the ground. But his spirit went somewhere. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? What the, you know, the scientists will look at the ecosystem and say, well, you know, without funerals and coffins and stuff, we live and we die. And when we die, we go back into the ground and it's the ecosystem, which makes perfect sense. What God did was he interrupted the ecosystem that he made and said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to take these elements and I'm going to make them a living soul that thinks and breathes and, 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 and debates and has a relationship and loves that's incredible, folks. So when we talk about God's word, God takes this paper and this ink and he arranges it in such a way that now it gives life. You know, people say, oh, I don't want to. And it's funny, new believers do this. Like, I don't want to write in my Bible. I got pen mark everywhere. I got stickies. I got rip pages. I got highlighter all over my Bible. Because I want to know what he says. I want to remember when he gives me an idea to write it down. And these words come alive on the page. And folks, when you come up to receive Jesus in my flesh, in my sin, I would like to think it was me. But I know the truth. Truth is, it's not me. You come up to receive the Lord, people in the back who came up last Sunday, you did it just because it says faith comes by hearing you heard and hearing by the word of God. Amen? Amen. So it was by that word of God that those people, their souls were stimulated. God was working on them and they had an urgency. I got to get up out of this pew and I got to come forward and I want to receive Jesus as my savior. That's powerful, folks. I, I say this, God's word is the catalyst for spiritual awakening. What's wrong with our country? What's wrong with our culture? Maybe if we vote that person out and that person in, or this party out and that person in, you can do that until the cows come home. And folks, <laughs> it's just not going to make a difference. It's, it's the word of God. It has to permeate our culture. And I think Christians have to be careful of sitting with the remote and getting angry and not doing anything. 
just reach one person. You know, just pray for that one wayward kid that you see walking down the street every day and you know he or she's getting into trouble. We need to be a part of the solution, folks. God has called us to do that. That's why he's given us spiritual gifts. I know, I know, we get busy, our lives are busy, my life is busy too. But what an awesome thing when he interrupts our lives to say, right there, that person. Sometimes we'll know based on their response that that was definitely God prompting you and sometimes we'll find out in eternity. Either way, it's all good because we're being used by God. So, do you have faith? Maybe. That's a good answer. Jesus was going to heal a man, and he said to the man, do you believe? He said to Jesus two things that appeared to be contradictory. He said, yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. You know what I love about that man? He was honest. Honest. We have to be honest before God. I don't know, Jesus. There's part of me that really thinks that you're going to do something in my life and heal me. And part of me that's struggling. That's the human condition. That's why I love to read the Bible. If I didn't read about all these failures in Scripture, all these people with character flaws, I would have never stepped forward. I would have made the assumption, too, that God is looking for perfect people. That's not the case. Those are the ones he's often rejecting. And they're only perfect in their own minds. He's looking for the humble. He's looking for the willing. Let's turn to Hebrews 4.12. Let's talk about another characteristic of God's word. Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful. Words? When Jesus came, he was called the Lagos. He was called the word of God. He was the, the physical, articulate mouthpiece of the living God. Everything he said had a meaning. It had purpose. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Probably another metaphor. They would see the Roman soldiers with the gladius. And they had a very sharp, it was very sharp and it had two edges on it. So he's saying, you think the gladius is sharp? The Romans carry? They got to keep sharpening it. Watch this. He says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It can do both. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature, there's no person hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When I started coming to church 20-something years ago, I was hard. I came from a dysfunctional family. I came from divorce. I was the oldest uh, sibling. It all fell on me. I turned to alcohol as a way to self-medicate myself. That got out of control very quickly. Um, I got involved in a profession which made me even harder. And when I sat there Sunday after Sunday, what the pastor said about the word intrigued me. Part of me didn't like what he said. But every Sunday, a layer of the onion, so to speak, was stripped from my heart. Because you know what we do, folks? We build up walls, especially in this area. You know, nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to be vulnerable. We build up walls and callousness over our hearts. We want to protect ourselves. And every Sunday, another layer got stripped away. Another layer got stripped away. And I was open and, you know, naked and vulnerable to God. And I just said, you know what? I just... My wife and I, who was my girlfriend at the time, we just went up to receive Jesus. 
It's kind of funny how he, he does that. And listen, in any given sermon, there are some here who are thinking to themselves, I can't wait to get out of here. This guy's a crackpot. Probably not that many, but I'm sure maybe one or two. Because what you're doing is, if that's you, let me reach you. Let me talk to you. Let's talk after service. You're resisting the word. Part of you is, is falling for it, and the other part is being hard again and saying, I'm not going to be vulnerable. I don't know this guy. I don't know this church. It's not me, and it's not the church. It's Jesus Christ. If you receive Jesus Christ and go to another church, you're still saved. You're still a born-again believer, and you're still a child of God. Amen? We've got to stop with these, and it's in politics. It's in religion. Our camps, you know. As long as you're going to a church where you're hearing the word of God being preached, then that's a huge plus. Verse 18, we continue. Last few verses in Romans. But I say, now remember there's context to this. There's a, there's a, a backdrop to this. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the, of the world. In the study Bibles, and I think most Bibles, anything that's italicized is the person, is, the writer is referring back to another passage. So he's going to use different, more Old Testament scripture. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, and this goes back all the way to Deuteronomy. God says through Moses, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, the Gentiles. I will anger you by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient, contrary people. Four, there's no excuse. The gospel has gone out. So the first scripture is from uh, Psalm 19.4. God's word has gone out. God's word is going out, right? We talked about a sermon. And, and again, people ask legitimate questions. That's why we have our Q&A nights uh, once a month. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? We love those questions. Seriously, we do. Um, so what about the people in the remote areas? And I hear that a lot. All right, so let's start with the easy ones. You got the scripture. You're here. There's no excuse. You're hearing the word of God. You have missionaries. Missionaries go out to those remote regions. Missionaries, actually a lot of them, take it upon themselves to translate indigenous languages from uh, established languages. It's pretty fascinating. So they, they, their whole life's pursuit is to re- reach some indigenous people that can't read. There's the gifts of, of translation. There's the gifts of tongues, right? God will do something supernatural. There's dreams. There's visions. There's prophecies. There's Romans 1. We talked about at least knowing God through nation, uh, through nature, through creation. Um, so, listen, there's people in North Korea and Iran who are smuggling information to missionaries across the, the border saying, I got saved. Uh, God gave me a dream about Jesus, and I woke up, and I found some other Christian within 10 miles of me. And, and he's like, well, how did you get here? He goes, how did you know about me? He goes, well, I dreamed about Jesus. And they get, they're getting saved. So God loves everybody. There's there's nobody that he is saying, well, not those people. People do that. God doesn't do that. He loves everyone. So we continue on. Deuteronomy 32 is expressed here. Isaiah 65.1, Isaiah 65.2. He warns his people against their hardness of heart. Um, But we conclude today's sermon. 
2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. The Lord has made to his children, right? I'm, I'm coming back. I'm returning. I'm, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And we, like, we wait for him to return. But, he says, he is long-suffering or patient toward us or toward humanity, not willing, and I emphasize that, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing. God is not willing that any should perish when they die. That they should all come to heaven. They should all come to repentance. But he did give us free will. And people get, again, they get frightened by these big words. Repentance, three syllables. Repentance just means changed. Change, like many of you t- here today. So, you, you know, you're walking along your life. You're thinking about your promotions. You're thinking about your kids. You're thinking all good things. And then you start to hear preaching and, and God interrupts your life and says, Hey, I'm here. What is repentance? Repentance is making a decision now at this point. Do I continue on my self-directed life or do I pay attention to him calling me, his, his love for me through various methods? Change. Self-directed life towards a God-directed life. But that's, that's the way it happens and that's his desire. The reality is that many will perish. Not because God wants them to perish. I just read that but because they choose to perish. Don't let that be you. Second Peter 3.10, the next verse continues, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He's warning us that this system is not going to go on forever. You know, you see a lot of nations, and it's, it's amazing how the, 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 the urgency of globalism, 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 every, everybody's, even some churches, globalism, globalism, God has called you to minister to the local church. Why has everybody got to go global? Why has everybody got to get big things in their eyes? You know, that wasn't like that in the book of Acts. Mankind is trying to solve mankind's problem. And I don't know about you, but man, this is just not happening. It isn't happening. We don't have the ability because the problems that we have in this country and the world have a spiritual root. You can't fix a spiritual root. You can't pull it out by physical methods. Understand? It's got to be a spiritual solution. And the irony is the more we're moving towards globalism and humanistic uh, psychology, there's an added part of that that is rejecting Christianity because it's in the way. We've concluded a four-part series of God's sovereignty and human responsibility regarding salvation. Now what we're left, folks, is the real-life application. You heard the words. You heard the arguments. You heard the theories. Um, but don't just learn about salvation. Be a part of it. Do something about it. God said it's as close as your mouth and your heart. You have the ability right now, if you don't know the Lord, to receive Jesus today. He couldn't have made it any easier. He did all the heavy lifting on the cross, and he also gave us very, very easy abilities. You see in some of these ascetic religions how... Uh, ministers, religious people, they whip themselves and they, they crawl on their knees and they do all these. It's almost like Tough mutter. I mean, it's the religious version of the Tough mutter competition. Like, what are you doing? Luther saw all these people crawling up the church stairs and reciting different prayers and, and the, the ability to get closer to God. And God says, it's right here. Yes, Jesus, I believe what you did. You don't have to go through all that stuff. Just... God is, God is love. God is relationship. He created all those things. So uh, you have a decision to make if you don't know the Lord. Let's pray. 
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.